Ronnie, shut up! Are you recording? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something really incredible. I mean, if you get out on the stage and all you can see is people. Because if Nixon gets re-elected, yeah. it's going to be trouble. I came to, like, in an incredible rage and broke my guitar. You just don't get too bone. involved till you see yourself with some sort of gun. It's all true, folks. Mm-hmm. All you need is love. Man, I'm finally starting to wake up, Howard. Let's mm-hmm. get into some heavy stuff now. The Smith Tapes Podcast. As a Village Voice journalist and WPLJ radio personality in the 1960s and 70s, Howard Smith was at the epicenter of New York City's counterculture. Between the years 1969 and 1972, he recorded scores of long-form audio interviews with rock stars and cultural icons. These original audio reels, crates of them, then sat untouched in the back of his West Village loft, unheard for 40 years. Until now. You, you want to level it all? Say who you Hello. are. Hello. Uh, Lou Reed speaking. Okay, is it rolling? Yeah. Sometimes I feel so happy. Sometimes I feel so sad. In this episode, we're going to hear from Lou Reed. This month celebrates what would have been his 72nd birthday. This month also marks the 45th anniversary of the release of The Velvet Underground's third and self-titled album. The record showed a change in the band's lineup as co-founder John Cale had left the group. It's a musical departure from the first two albums. It's much softer, melodic, less experimental. Of course, one reason for this change is the loss of John Cale's influence. Another reason could be Lou Reed's newfound sobriety. In this clip from Howard's interview, recorded March 26, 1969, right after the album's release, we join their conversation to hear about a time in Lou Reed's life not often talked about, or for that matter, even known. Now, the drug revolution has come and gone, and we're stuck with the residue now, which is mainly lying on the floor at light shows. But this, too, will pass, because what the kids are going to be interested in, what's going to be fabulous, is not drugs, because drugs are very, very boring, you know, and kids, are, uh, I know the kids are hip to this, that uh, the quickest way to bore yourself is to take a drug and examine you. You know, there's nothing very interesting about that. The thing that's most fun is working very, very hard, something that's good, you know, as hard as you can to raise, to make things as best as you can in whichever way, because it doesn't matter if it's a big thing or a little thing, they're all equal. You know, no one does more good than anybody else if everybody does good. There's, there's no, le- you know, you can't, get, there's no measuring stick. You know, no, they don't, you can't put a ruler to it. And the kids are into this, and they're not going to spend all their time on the floor t- smoking pot. You know, like I don't think pot's, I, uh, I'm one of the people that say pot sh- uh, should be illegal. You understand? Well, that's uh, funny. You've had a long involvement with mm-hmm. drugs, a long, notorious involvement. A long, right? notorious involvement that's not, that uh, isn't what uh, you're apparently stating it to be. You know, I'm telling you what I think of drugs, you know, which, um, you know, for what it's worth, you know, which may be nothing. It's just, I'm also telling you what I think the kids think of drugs, you know, for what it's worth, which also may be nothing. I think the kids arriving at a conclusion that I got to maybe a different way, only they may be smarter than I am, you know, and a lot of them really are, you know, they're just, a lot of things I had to find out, they already know. I mean, they just know it right off the bat automatically, it's fantastic. You talk to these little 14-year-old kids, they're, they're beautiful. They're, um, they're like little elves. It's, mm. it's just fantastic. And 
a lot of them, like say two years ago when we were touring around, were killing themselves with this dope. And uh, their so-called idols and everything who were saying really hip things like, oh, everybody should do what they want. You know, like when referring to dope, well, that's true up to a point, but somebody should also mention to them that, um, you, yeah, you should do whatever you want, but uh, think about it, mm. you know, before you go off and do your work. And I think uh, they're not going to be lying on the floors at ballrooms soon. They're going to be out and having a lot of fun because that's what young people are supposed to do is be standing and running around having a lot of fun, mm. you know, which means no dope because uh, it's a distraction. Anything you sound like a reformed alcoholic. Uh, no, does it really? I, th I just think I'm someone who likes reality a lot. I think anybody who distracts themselves from reality is cheating themselves. Mm from what really exists, because there's nothing more fantastic than what you're seeing right in front of you. And anybody who distorts it for a minute is, is, is lowering the whole level of everybody Velvet else around them. Velvet Underground for so long was called a drug group. Well, who cares what the Velvet Underground was called? I don't care what it was called. Yeah, but I mean, it sounds almost like opposite. Are you saying that that was all untrue? I'm not saying anything was true. I mean, you have to ask me a specific question to say that's true. I'm, I'm saying it was true. We were called a big bad dope group. Yeah, that was true. We were called that, you know, so... What does that have to do with... No, so it sounds I, I like you're, you're saying, okay, after... I don't... Was it true? Was it true that you were a big bad dope group? Uh, I don't think we were a big, big bad dope group. I, I don't understand what a big bad dope Your group phrase. would be. You... Mm. Was the Velvet Underground personally very involved with drugs? No, I wouldn't say very involved. I would say, uh... We were as high as you'd want to go, but I th I would also say that that uh, it was part of the times that was going on then, and we happened to be right up front with it, and uh, and so we're reporting back. <laughs> yeah, you're saying we've yeah. been there and we didn't like it. I'm saying uh, it's a poor way to bore yourself. There are there are better ways of boring yourself than dope. Mm. And I'm only the only reason I'm mentioning that in particular is because it's something we run up into with the kids. You understand? I don't care what I've done because I don't particularly matter. I'm saying the kids that you meet at the shows want to know about things like that. You understand? It's something they bring up. In other words, I'm not rapping about the army and saying, well, I beat the draft, I did this this way. I don't, because no one asked me, so I'm not saying anything. Okay. But I do know that the kids who listen to, you know, they want to know about dope and they want to know that it's lousy. You know, and I'm just saying I include pot and I include liquor. I say anything, anything that disorients you or distracts you. Anybody who tells you getting closer to reality is lying. They're people who aren't very strong, that's all. And you don't uh, use anything anymore? No, no. As a matter of fact, I use vitamins. I use homeopathic cell tissue salts and things like that. You know, I go to Kiehl's and I get little roots and I brew things at home, right? I get high off honey, you know what I mean? Things like that, which... I mean, you can really do it to yourself. It's very, you know, like if you wanted to get into a thing about vegetarianism, you know, it's a, you know, what level do you think high is? You know, how high do you really want to go when you talk? You know, I mean, do you really want to be straight or do you, you know, you want to kid around and really get down to it? Because if you really want to get down to it, you know, you'll say that uh, the kids should know that some people mm. think that it's bad stuff, up to and including, and that's pot. That, that means marijuana, bad, you know, bad because. Anything that disorients you. Yet, if anybody wanted to do something, they should be allowed to. You know, that's why it should be legal, just so people could not do it.
I asked Howard about the interview. Here he is. Lou Reed was a challenge because I had written a bunch of stuff making fun of the Velvet Underground. And yet, it seemed he wanted to do the interview. That's what had been passed on to me. I don't know if that was true, but at any rate, he showed up. So I didn't know whether the interview would devolve into a discussion of that, but it didn't come up, uh, my write-ups about it. For all I know, maybe he didn't see it. Who knows? So I was nervous before the interview for that reason. But it was a challenge, the interview, for another reason. He's like a, a cross between mystery and passive-aggressiveness. It's like, it might be partly shyness, I don't know. It's hard to tell with some passive-aggressive people whether it's a product of their shyness or their personality, I don't know. Sometimes I would ask a question, I wasn't sure he was gonna answer at all. You know, he looked pained by it. He didn't look like it was the happiest moment of his life, but then again, that's how he often presented himself to people. I'd seen him at an occasional party or here or there. And that's how he came across. Quiet, kind of a rough front. That's how he came across also. A little rough, a diamond in the rough. And uh, he was a guy carrying a lot of baggage. I mean, he had done a lot of things, you know. He'd been involved in a lot of different scenes. The music scene, the Warhol scene. His mentors were kind of interesting. He always claimed before this interview with me and years afterward, his two mentors were Delmore Schwartz, famous poet, and Andy Warhol. Well, that's an interesting combination and I admire him for that, saying those were his mentors. Those certainly were important people to our culture in a lot of ways. Well, I continued to run into him occasionally at some party or somewhere. Then I ran into him years later at a pinball place, an arcade up on Broadway in the 50s that I frequently went to. It was Broadway Arcade was the name of the place. I don't think it exists anymore. And there he was playing a pinball machine. So I went over and I said, Lou, hi, how are you doing? And he turned, stopped playing and said, Howard, I found out about this place because I read about it in your column in The Voice. I got to thank you. This is a great place. Thank you so much. And it was the only time I'd ever seen him that open with me, just smiling and happy. And, and then I ran into him again there. Many, many times when I would go, he would be there playing. And we discussed some pinball machines. And then one time I went there, and I waited until he finished, and I said, Hi, Lou, it's Howard. And he turned, and he looked right at me, gave me a terrible, dirty look, and walked away. And I said, is something wrong? And he wouldn't answer and walked away. So I left him alone, and we never talked again after that.
hear this interview in its entirety, check out The Smith Tapes Collection 1, Fillmore East, on iTunes. It can also be purchased on CD at thesmithtapes.com. To hear tons of other audio clips, find us on Facebook and SoundCloud. For The Smith Tapes, I'm Ezra Bookstein. Thanks for listening.